Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast. I am your host, Krista Bontrager. And I am a Christian theologian and public apologist, and this is the channel where I offer teaching about the Bible and theological commentary on social issues. I have been talking a bit on my social media, on my Facebook page at Theology Mom, about the movie Sound of Freedom, human trafficking, uh, the organization OUR, the Operation Underground Railroad, and its founder, Tim Ballard, for about the last month, and um, wanted to do a special podcast, just kind of summarizing where I'm at right now with that research, um, and how we got how I got here, and to prepare you for some upcoming content that will be coming to the channel on related themes. So back in late June, uh, my husband saw on social media, I think it was on Twitter, that Jim Caviezel, the lead actor in the movie Sound of Freedom, was accepting requests for media appearances. So I put in a request. I never heard back from them. Looking back on it, Maybe that was a, a blessing, but um, that's really how this whole thing started. It's my husband's fault. Uh, so I sent in the media request to Jim Caviezel's people. And while I was waiting to possibly um, hear back from them, and this is kind of before the movie sort of exploded. It was um, really when very few people knew about the movie yet. Um, I made a kind of open-ended post on Facebook, just inviting people to tell me like, had they heard of the movie? Had they heard, you know, do they know anything about it or the, the backstory or anything? It was a very open-ended post. Oh my, people had a lot of feelings, a lot of opinions, lots of thoughts. But um, one one post in particular stood out to me and kind of started um, me down just a whole journey that I really wasn't expecting. And um, as I kind of want to talk about how all of these events unfolded for me and, and where it's led to. So one person who reached out to me privately, and this uh, was not on social media, but um, this person sent me a link to a post by a guy named Joseph Scaramucci, who is works in law enforcement and specializes in the issues of human trafficking. And he had a very strong post on his LinkedIn profile. And uh, he, along with many people who work in the anti- trafficking space had been asked, you know, what do you, what do you think about this movie coming out? Are you going to go see it? And all of that. And he had some strong words about it. He clearly, he called it a fictional movie, 
it's uh, it's not based on fact. He said many facts, quote unquote, facts surrounding that movie, the organization that is portrayed in the quote unquote operative have been proven to be false. I agree that the movie brings awareness to a cause to a small degree. It brings awareness to a problem that doesn't affect 99.99% of Americans. Um, Donate helps spread the word, but what the movie doesn't show you is the overwhelming majority of American kids being trafficked by Americans. Scaramucci went on to say trafficking isn't as high as it's ever been. Look at the capita rates. It just isn't. Your city is not a hub. Trafficking victim numbers may be higher than ever, but they also correspond with population numbers. He goes on to kind of make some insinuations about Tim Ballard and the records surrounding his work being fudged. Anyways, uh, you know, I have no way of evaluating the veracity of Mr. Scaramucci's comments. The post was sent to me by somebody that I trust, a trusted informant. This person knows Mr. Scaramucci personally and uh, finds him to be a legitimate and credible source. But I can't, I can't verify that. I, I don't know Mr. Scaramucci. But what did strike me about this post is like, okay, here's a guy who works full time to push back the darkness against trafficking. And he's not like an enthusiastic endorser of this film. Why is that? It just was a, qu- a question in my mind of why. It made me wonder. Why do I not see more people working in the anti-trafficking space pushing this film, singing the accolades of the people involved in the film? Like, I didn't see that. I, I And so that was just like a question mark for me. It wasn't a judgment. It wasn't um, a conclusion. It was just a question mark. One informant um, sent me this link to tax records from Operation Underground Railroad. Now, I am not an expert in reading 990s. There are people who read 990s all the time, people who write grant proposals for nonprofits. And a 990 is just a, a form that if you run a 501c3 nonprofit, you have to file with the government. It's a public record of your income and who your officers are and some basic facts about your nonprofit. And if I scroll through this, just as a layperson, I see, okay, well, you know, the the main people are earning about a half a half a million dollars, including Tim Ballard uh, as the founder and CEO. Um, the third of the chief financial officers earning, you know, close to 400,000 a year, and that was in 2022. Scroll back a little farther, it looked like Tim Ballard had gotten a pretty big raise between 21 and 22. These numbers are a little, little lower in the 300,000 range, 250,000 range. Scrolling back deeper in their history, going back to 2020, notice um, how much income they had here. You know, it's total revenue um, was 47 million dollars. Now in the nonprofit world, that's a lot of money. There's a lot of nonprofits out there, people. 
a lot. And they're all competing for your money. For a nonprofit to, to be raking in $47.5 million in, in a year, that's that's a lot of money. But notice that they, they only had like $13.5 million in expenses. So they were sitting on a pretty big pile of cash. Um, that, that was kind of interesting to me. Scroll back farther to 2019, pre-COVID days. Look at these numbers. This, this is interesting. 22 million, not, not as big as the fat 2020 numbers of 47 and a half million, but still pretty healthy. And their, their functional expenses were only, you know, a little less than 10 million. So again, they were sitting on a pretty big pile of cash there. Um, and if you notice, when you get to um, the first time Tim Ballard appears on the payroll is in 2021, doesn't appear that he was on the payroll prior to that, or at least not at a high enough level that they had to report it on the 990s. So you can, you can see all of this. Anyways, year over year, though, they've made some healthy incomes and um, having a surplus every year. So that told me, you know, this is a pretty healthy ministry from a financial standpoint. They're sitting on a lot of cash. Not a problem. Um, there are stories about, you know, donors, you know, you, if you make a big enough donation, you can even go on a jump with their team. Um, there are stories about that on the internet. I'll leave that to you to weigh out the veracity of those. But they're, they're doing pretty well financially. Um, no super big red flags to me, other than it's a little strange to be having that much cash sitting around, but you know, not, not a huge concern to me. Um, and then this, um, commenter that I mentioned earlier had, had, who came on my original post and she sends me this article from, or she posted this article from American Crime Journal. Now, I got to be honest, when I first came to this website, when I clicked on this, this had total like discernment blog vibes to me, you know, like the scrolly thing across the top and just, uh, you know, just a lot of things here kind of has discernment blog vibes to me, but I was trying to remain neutral. Okay, maybe there's something here. This looks a little strange. So I read through this article, the arrest of Earl Venton Buchanan. And this is an article on their website, uh, the American Crime Journal.com, dated Monday, September 5th, 2022. As a long, meandering kind of article, I it wasn't what this is an opinion. Sorry, American Crime Journal people, but it's just article wasn't well written to me. It wasn't, um, it didn't seem unbiased or journalistic-like. <laughs> and so I just, I was, a, I was kind of turned off by the whole thing. I didn't know what to think of it at that point. Um, when I poked around the site, there were other articles, many articles about Ballard, OUR, um, Sound of Freedom, and it was all fairly negative. And really calling the whole, a lot of his stories to be hoaxes. I thought, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. That's a bold claim. 
But, you know, I didn't really have time to start going down that rabbit hole. And so just at this point, remember doing some preliminary research to see, you know, do I want to feature the movie on my podcast? That's really all this all started was, do I want to highlight the film on my podcast? Do I potentially want to have Jim Caviezel on to talk about the film? So I'm just in my preliminary due diligence stage. Then I come across this Vice article. It's entitled, A Fame Anti-Sex Trafficking Group Has the Problem with the Truth. It's dated December 10, 2020. And it goes into, you know, a whole backstory about Tim Ballard. And, and again, highlighting the the issue and concern that they have that Ballard seems to engage in a level of embellishment in his storytelling. And again, I'm like, I don't have time to chase down these receipts. I don't know what this is. But I did do a cursory Google search and I did find this one article. There isn't much out there that is more from a you know neutral standpoint. When I think about vice to me, a Vice article is like, you know, they're they're just sort of this ultra liberal rag. I don't really look at them as being um, journalists, having high journalistic standards in terms of being um, unbiased in the old fashioned journalism sense. I, I definitely think they're coming at it and they slant their articles from a liberal point of view. It's not to say they don't have true information. But it's not always easy to discern what the true information is. And so in an attempt to see if I could corroborate any of their claims, I did come across this first person account called Called by God. It's on the slate.com website. And it's an article written by someone named Meg Conley. And at the time, she, she describes her experience as a young um, LDS member, a young Mormon gal going on a jump with Tim Ballard and her and his team back in 2014. And this was an interesting first person account. So it's not Vice. It's not the American Crime Journal. It's a woman who was there and went on a jump. Now I'm going to assume that, you know, what she says is, 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 accurate to her experience and all of that. So um, it, it, it was an interesting article and it did intersect in some key moments with the Vice article. And so that gave me enough pause to think, okay, maybe there's more here to this story. Maybe I need to pump the brakes and not promote or be quick to promote the film on my podcast, because I, I don't know if I have time to figure this all out. I don't know if I have time to figure out um, who's telling the truth. So there, there's, um, you know, how, how to sift through sources and, and all of that. So just this cursory research at this point gave me enough questions that I decided not to move forward with any interviews. And again, Caviezel's people never got back to me my platform is probably too small. And so it all worked out. It was all fine. But then about this same time is when I start seeing um, Caviezel and Ballard 
starting to make the the rounds on Christian media. They, they were on a CBN News. I was I was really quite taken aback that Tim Ballard, uh, who is an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, the Mormons, would be featured on CBN. Um, but then I looked back in their history, and they'd had him on before several years ago. So I start seeing, you know, Tim Ballard and Jim Caviezel making the media rounds, doing the media tour, pushing the film and all of that. So the hype train at that point started to really build and people had started seeing the movie and were really encouraging people, hey, this is an important film, go see the go see the movie and um Operation Underground Railroad you know, the, the organization founded by Tim Ballard tweeted out, you know, about it. And people were sharing the trailer on their social media. And we were seeing all of these images about the film. And so uh, the hype train had really started by that point. So one of the things I noticed in the press tour and, you know, in the marketing was the idea that that the movie Sound of Freedom was based on a true story. Um, For example, in the press kit made available through Angel Studios, and just for the sake of clarity, Angel Studios did not produce the film. Um, The film was actually shot several years ago, bounced around to various studios in Hollywood. Angel Studios got the rights to... um, distribute the film so they were the ones that brought it to the theaters but here in the film synopsis notice the wording here it says the incredible true story and then in the log line based on the true story so the theme of tim ballard uh being you know like a real life superhero some of the wording i heard in some of the interviews uh that was a that was a big theme of the whole press junket and that this was based on a true story. In fact, OUR, uh, the organization founded by Ballard, um, even set up a web page that said, you know, based on a true story, except the parts that aren't. And they went through and they kind of had all these like kind of true false, true false um, types of things. But um And and I don't have a problem with this page, but I think that uh, we're going to talk later about this particular section here of the story about the children portrayed in the movie were actual survivors of trafficking, which they mark as true. We're going to circle back to that claim and unpack that a little bit more later in this podcast. So... Um, about this time, as the, the press is really starting to ramp up, people are discovering the film, encouraging their friends on social media, go watch the film. The film did like 40 million, I think, its opening weekend, which astonished, you know, all of the Hollywood insiders, I'm sure, um, that this little podunk film could could do 40, pull in 40 million over a 4th of July weekend. Um then Rolling Stone uh, linked or uh, wrote an article that um, I, I got. It got a lot of play. Uh, the headline read 
Sound of Freedom is a superhero movie for dads with brain worms. The QAnon-tinged thriller about human about child trafficking is designed to appeal to the conscience of a conspiracy-addled boomer. Oh my. When this article came out on July 7th, so at that point, the film had been out about three days. It, it, it had started making enough waves that Rolling Stone weighed in on the film. So th this article then energized the whole QAnon crowd and they went on their social media and as well as even mainstream conservative voices and um, conservative Christian voices started charging that the film is revealing important truths that the left doesn't want exposed. And so then we had kind of like this polarizing opposite reaction. And um, the setup really became created pretty quickly that if you even ask questions about Ballard or the film or make comments about it, then you're just against speaking out about trafficking victims and you're part of the problem. And obviously that, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous posture. You can be against human trafficking. You can advocate against trafficking and also ask questions about Tim Ballard or ask questions about a movie. All of those things can live together at the same time. Um, but I started noticing like there's almost this cult-like thing, this attitude on social media that even just asking questions, you know, people were coming on my page and making all kinds of wild statements. It was, it was a lot. I really, I finally had to shut off the comments on, on my blog post after there were 175 comments in just a couple of hours, which is astronomically high for me. And I, I just was like, I can't with this. This is just not productive. It's not healthy. So I turned off the comments for my commenter's own health and safety, your mental health. I care. So I turned off the comments because it just wasn't being productive or helpful. And, um, but what I noticed is that there was just this kind of weird cult-like thing building around the film and around Ballard that, that like, it was almost your Christian duty to go watch this film. And like, boy, this is, this is a little troubling. And so I started doing a deeper dive at this point. This is when I started kind of thinking through things a bit more. And, um, one of the the more like unhinged things that I saw happening was when I made did a blog post kind of chronicling all of these um when I did a, a blog post sort of chronicling all of my research and and everything um the thing that people a lot of people became so triggered by is that I linked to other articles like the vice article in the Rolling Stone article and, and all of that. Just me linking to things caused people to become triggered and start yelling at me. Um, if they had read the article carefully and in an accurate and measured way, they would see that I didn't base any of my conclusions on the Vice article or the Rolling Stone article. I didn't base any of my conclusions on the American Crime Journal article. Okay. I did all my own research. Now I did link to these things because they were out there in the 
atmosphere <laughs> of the internet. And um, I felt like they were important in the conversation because other people were interacting with them as a sources. But the cult-like mentality that I saw developing around the film, like people were even commenting about me on social media and saying, you know, like, well, you know, offering criticism is, is just unchristian. And how can you call yourself a Christian and criticize someone like Tim Ballard or, or the, the film Sound of Freedom? It was, it was weird. I mean, if, if you're so triggered that I put a link to something in an article, you probably shouldn't be on my page. You're, you're a little too fragile to be on my page. So um, anyways, as far as I can tell, after doing all of my own research, I kind of came up with a few points that I'm going to go through here of what I'm pretty sure are true about the whole situation. And um, just to give you sort of a synopsis of my research so far. And again, these are things that I've come to believe to be true after quite a lot of my own research. Again, I'm not relying on Vice articles to come to these conclusions. Okay. Human trafficking is a real problem. It is a real problem. Human trafficking is not a conspiracy theory. It is a real problem and it deserves to be discussed. The kind of trafficking, and I mentioned this in my movie review of Sound of Freedom, the kind of trafficking shown in the film represents one type of child sex trafficking. Um, and that really needs to be kept in mind. You know, it shows kidnapping. Um, most child trafficking doesn't happen through kidnapping. Some of it does, but not all of it. Most of it happens, um, or a good portion of it, I should say, happens even from parents or guardians selling their children into trafficking situations. So um, Monique and I have highlighted the issue of human trafficking in the past. We did a whole episode on our podcast, All the Things, back in September of 2020 called Human Trafficking, the Gospel and Justice, where we um, in, interviewed our friends at AIM, Agape International Missions. So you can check that out if you want more information. So this is not a new story for us. We have been talking about this issue for a while as, an, as a justice issue. Number two is that Tim Ballard did work for the CIA in the Department of Homeland Security, and he was tangentially involved in a high-profile bust of a pedophile named Earl Buchanan. Now, the reason that this is important is because this scenario plays a role in the film Sound of Freedom, and we'll get to that more in a moment. Tim Ballard is a member of the LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that I mentioned earlier, and I only mention this because he mentions it a lot. And he mentions it and his faith in God, the Mormon God, as a motivation for his work. So his faith is very important to him and it is central to his life, uh, according to his claim. And uh, he really genuinely feels called by God to do the work that he does. That's the only reason I'm bringing up his religious perspective. The film is being distributed by Angel Studios, which is co-founded by two members of the LDS Church. That's also factual. 
the tagline of the film, God's children are not for sale, is consistent with a key LDS doctrine that all humans are children of God. Okay, so I'm not saying that the film intentionally is promoting Mormon theology, but I am saying that this statement, God's children are not for sale, is consistent with a key LDS doctrine that all humans are children of God. Now, to make, if they were to make a statement, similar statement, more consistent with historic Christianity, they could have said children are not for sale. Um, but I discussed the whole, you know, identifying who is a child of God in a previous podcast. Uh, called Are We All God's Children? So you can hear me unpack all of those biblical details there. Number six, the sensational nature of the Hollywoodized story has been a concern for some who work in anti-trafficking. They feel it gives the wrong impression of the situation. Now, this number six does seem to be the view of some of the people quoted in the Vice stories. But I include it here because it was also a concern of some of the people that I have personally interviewed who work in anti-trafficking. Because after I started this whole process and people were questioning the veracity of my blog post, then I engaged in another 50 hours of research and doing first-person interviews with a wide variety of people who work in various capacities of human trafficking. And other people that I talk to express the same sentiment. Now notice the word some, not all, some. So you might encounter a person who works in anti-trafficking efforts who has no problem with the Hollywoodized version of the story. That's great. I am simply saying that for some people, this is an issue. They feel like it gives the wrong impression of trafficking. Some people, number seven, who work in anti-trafficking seem to find Ballard's tales to embellish the truth. He, and this was Scaramucci's concern. I've talked to a couple of other people. One person I talked to said, um, this is a near quote, Ballard has made himself useless because he shows his face all over the place. He can never go undercover anymore. And so if he's sounding like, you know, he's doing things, that's almost probably not true anymore as an undercover because people would recognize him. His face is everywhere. But there are people who seem to, to have concerns that Ballard embellishes the truth. He embellishes what he does. He embellishes his stories. And we're going to see more about that in just a minute. Some people, some, not all, some people who work in anti-trafficking seem to find Ballard's rescue methods, specifically throwing uh, certain kinds of parties to entice pedophiles um, to be outside of the industry's best practices and potentially even endangering children. Now, this is another point that was highlighted in the Vice articles. But 
it was corroborated to me in my research with other people who work in this area. This is a, a concern. It's a debated point. I will concede that, but it is a concern for some. Operation Underground Railroad, number nine, provides grants to domestic law enforcement teams who specialize in trafficking, such as dogs, equipment, and possibly mental health services for officers with PTSD. Um, this has been confirmed to me by a couple of sources, and this is some legitimate and good work that OUR seems to do. Number 10, OUR provides grants to some anti-trafficking nonprofits in order to help some survivors in countries, in other countries to help them heal and transition back into mainstream life. I talked to a, a gal just yesterday that had had some interactions. Uh, it, she is involved with a ministry, a sheltering ministry and rehab ministry in Africa. I won't disclose what country but OUR helps to support a few of their residents through grants. So this is, again, some of the good work that OUR is doing. OUR seems to include efforts of law enforcement captures in their statistics for their work. When those captures involve dogs or equipment sponsored by OUR, this seems to be viewed by some in law enforcement as a form of stolen valor. Now, this is probably the least, the, the thing I feel the least confident about, but I've talked to enough people that I, I'm pretty sure that this is true. Um, it's been verified to me by a couple of my sources that the way that when OUR on their website, if they say like, we did 6,000 captures last year, how they get to those numbers is not necessarily their team alone has done 6,000 captures. They include in that if they've made a donation of dogs or equipment to a law enforcement group or team, and then that team goes out and uses the dogs or the equipment in a capture, then those statistics become part of OUR statistics. One person that I talked to felt like this is a ver version of stolen valor, that they there's some resentment about it, that they OUR seems to be taking credit for work done by law enforcement. And there's a level of frustration about that. Number two, Ballard is very adept at storytelling and fundraising. I mean, if you watch Tim Ballard in any of these interviews, he's a dynamic guy and he can get people to throw their wallets at him. I mean, just looking at the numbers that we saw earlier in the 990s for OUR, um, they're making a lot of money in the nonprofit space. Very few nonprofits reach that level. And his storytelling is a big part of that. He's a good storyteller. Teller. He has a compelling personality. And um, I think that he's able to roll that into fundraising. Now, this is, was an interesting development that happened silently behind the scenes and then came out a few weeks after the film's release is that Ballard had actually left OUR shortly before the film's release. 
So he has already established another nonprofit. Um, I think they have a couple of years to file their 990s. So I don't know how much money they've taken in, but, you know, Trump has been uh, really talking about them and Tim Pool um, raised a bunch of money with his followers one night, like $50,000 in just a few hours. So I'm sure Tim Ballard's not going to have any problem, um, you know, getting more wallets to be thrown at him for his new organization. Okay. Now, this brings us to the next part of this story. And that is circling back to the issues raised in the American Crime Journal page, which again, at first, I just thought this has discernment blog vibes. I, this seems like a step above a gossip page. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not always easy when someone who calls themselves a journalist, which I am not a journalist, I'm a theologian, um, but when somebody calls themselves a journalist, but they don't write in a professional journalistic style and they they write more like an editorial opinion. And um, there's a guy named Lynn Packer. I think he's a former LDS member. And he has been largely responsible for chronicling the hazy, shifting origins story behind OUR and Ballard's um, efforts in, in the early days to, to found OUR. And, and Lynn Packer has been doing this work for a while now. And again, if you go to the American Crime Journal website, you can go to Lynn Packer's website. He, he, he has a YouTube channel. He's got lots of videos chronicling Tim Ballard and OUR. Uh, I just wish that Mr. Packer would talk in a more journalistic fashion, a more neutral fashion. I think that his, his message could get through to so many more people if he would just frame his conversations in a more unbiased way and, and just provide the facts and not so much commentary. So when I started researching the origin story, I had to kind of sift through Mr. Packer's opinions and his strong dislike for Mr. Ballard. And what are the facts? Okay. And thankfully, Mr. Packer does bring facts and he does uh, provide some helpful information, but it's a lot to sift through. So there's one whole story, uh, for example, now we're getting into transitioning into Ballard's, what appears to be a tendency to embellish stories. And my theory, my opinion is that he does this for the sake of fundraising. There's a story he often repeats. If you watch any of video interviews, he'll he, he will sometimes talk about a girl named Liliana. And he, he mentions her as someone he claims that OUR has helped to rescue. Now, Mr. Packer raises a lot of questions about the truthfulness of Liliana's story. I have not done a deep dive 
on the story. It is featured in the Vice article uh, or summarized there, the Liliana story. Uh, and you can go to uh, the article on American Crime Journal and try to sift through those facts there. But uh, uh, cursory research, there do seem to be some significant problems with the Liliana story. But I'm not going to go into the details of, of that here. I'm gonna focus on one story in particular because it's the story that connects to the movie Sound of Freedom. And it is also part of OUR's, what I call their origin story. Every, every ministry, okay, I, I'm not gonna say every, but almost all <laughs> ministries have an origin story, story about their founder, the story of how they came to be. And the previous ministry that I worked for, reasons to believe their origin story was that um, Hugh Ross read the great holy books of the world, searching to see which ones or one or any were consistent with the findings of modern science. He said all of them contradicted modern science except the Bible. When he read the Bible, he uh, signed his name in the back of his little Gideon Bible that he received as a public school student in Canada when he got to the end and he gave his life to Christ. That's the general gist of the origin story for reasons to believe that has now been around for almost 35 years. The origin story for Center for Biblical Unity is that Monique Dusan uh, grew up in South Central Los Angeles. She went to Biola University. She became kind of indoctrinated into critical race theory there. Then um, she and I met after she um, was a missionary in Africa for four and a half years. She came to live with my family for five years and came out of critical race theory. And then we co-founded the Center for Biblical Unity. It's the general gist of the origin story for us. Nearly every ministry has an origin story. This is why people give to a ministry. This is why people give to a nonprofit. So doing a deep dive on the origin story behind OUR and Tim Ballard's retelling of the origin story, it matters. It matters a lot. It matters because this is why people give, because they find Ballard to be credible, speaking from his experience and telling these stories, okay? What's also helpful about this particular story is that there are public records about it. We don't have to rely on um, uh, Ballard's retellings. We don't have to rely on Vice articles. We can look at the primary sources of police reports, okay? So Ballard recounts this pivotal origin story in a 2021 interview. Now he recounts this origin story a lot. I just picked this particular retelling because um, he mentions the name Earl Buchanan and that becomes the research point so that we can do a deeper dive into finding out the details of what happened. So we're gonna play this clip. We're gonna play this clip and um, listen to him tell the origin story for Operation Underground Railroad. 
Mm. When was the moment where you saw something that just said, this is my, I'm taking this on as a life mission, not just as a part of my job, but. It was, it, the, it was the first time I saw a child that was from the videos. When I was like, this is it. It's, I had to make a decision at that point. So what, what had happened was we got intel. Uh, uh, an American man had ki- was kidnapping children in Mexico, smuggling them into the United States. And in San Bernardino, you can look this, this case up. His name's Earl Buchanan. You can look it up. You can Google, learn all about the case. He had a compound up in San Bernardino where he was taking the kids and he was filming his sex no. acts with these kids. He was having sex with them yes. and filming and it. and filming it. And then what, selling it online or? Keeping it for himself, sharing oh with gosh. people. And so this guy's coming across the border, and and um, we're on the scene, and we get the kid out, this five-year-old boy. And I, it, it was the moment that he five-year-old ran. Five-year-old boy. Five-year-old oh boy. Gosh. And I recognized him from the video. No way. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen one of the kids from the video. And I'm like, I didn't know, my, my, I had a physiological reaction. Like, I didn't know if I could handle this. And then the kid kind of inherently knew we were the good guys, right? So he runs to us and jumps in, our, in my no arms. No way. And he's like holding, he's holding me and he's shaking. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, does he speak English? Does he speak Spanish? I, maybe both, I don't know. And he spoke perfect English, which was haunting to me because the only reason he did was because he had been with this guy, as it turned out, since oh. he, was a, he was taken as an infant. Oh my gosh. And he said to me, like no five-year-old should ever have to say to anybody, anyone, he said, I don't belong here. And the pain was so severe for me because I could immediately multiply that statement by millions of kids. And that was it. And then that, that led to raiding the, the compound and we found 11 other kids. No. Yeah. How old range? About f- from six to 12. Wow. So that was my point of like, I had to make a decision. I went home after that operation. So the first operation. That was the first time, I did a lot of cases Research, where we did, yeah. we did the um, receiving end. So we did like the search warrants and arrests of pedophiles who were receiving child rape videos. But, but this they was didn't the f- have kids there. Right. This was the first time I saw one of the kids from the video. And it like changed my life. But the change was either gonna be, I'm quitting forever or I'm all in. Because I, there was, you can't, it's too much to go one or the other. You can't go middle ground on right, this, right? right? And I went home that night, after two or three days actually, I went home to my wife. She didn't really know what was going on. I walked in the house and then I see my kids, right? And, oh. pro- and they're playing and having fun. And this kid was, Okay, that gives you the, the gist of it. So let's let's kind of recap the claims that Ballard makes in this clip. Um, ICE received intel that there was an American man who was kidnapping children in Mexico and smuggling them over the border into the U.S. Ballard names this alleged kidnapper as Earl Buchanan from San Bernardino. Buchanan had a quote unquote, compound in San Bernardino where he was filming acts with kids to share with others. Ballard claims he was on the scene and they get the kid out, a five-year-old boy. At that point, Ballard recognized the boy as one he saw in a video. The kid runs and jumps in Ballard's arms and says, I don't belong here. Ballard was haunted by the fact that the boy spoke spoke perfect English. This is because he had been with the kidnapper his whole life since he had been taken as an infant. This is a very important claim we're going to come back to. The boy gave Ballard a necklace and told him to rescue his sister 
who was kidnapped at the same time he was. Later, Ballard raided Buchanan's compound where they found 11 other kids ages 6 to 12. There's a lot of claims. But again, what's helpful about this particular incident is that there are police reports. So we're going to look at the police reports. If you go to the AmericanCrimeJournal.com website, go to look for an article called The Arrest of Earl Venton Buchanan, dated September 5th, 2022. Scroll all the way to the bottom. So I'm not using the article in any way, okay? But you can see the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol reports, and you can download these, okay? And you can scroll through them and read them for yourself. All right. So I'm not use. I'm only using the American Crime Journal site to get to these reports. You can go download them and look at them yourself. But here's a summary. I've read through them all. I'm not going to show them because there's some kind of graphic stuff in here that I don't want to put you through. But if you want to read them, you can do that. But here's a summary of what's in the reports. Yes, a boy was rescued during a border stop at the Mexican border. And we see this in depicted in the movie Sound of Freedom. Okay, this is the scene at the Mexican border. But here's the problem. The boy was not kidnapped and trafficked from Mexico. The boy was from San Bernardino, just like Earl Buchanan. The boy was not taken as an infant. He, so again, he's not kidnapped not trafficked, not from Mexico, not taken as an infant. We already have some massive contradictions to Ballard's origin story. The child likely had known Buchanan his whole life. He was a friend of the family. Now, Earl Buchanan is a pedophile. He's a real person. He's in prison, but he was not a trafficker. Buchanan was a family friend of the boy. And the boy's grandmother knew that the boy was with Buchanan on a trip to Mexico to visit some friends. Border agents did find tapes in Buchanan's van at the border. Uh, and these tapes, one of the tapes did have acts on the tape between Buchanan and the boy. But here's another problem is that the boy's sister was not trafficked. In fact, she was at home with the grandmother in San Bernardino at the time and corroborated this whole story to law enforcement. So not from Mexico, not kidnapped, not an infant, knew Buchanan probably his whole life, family friend. Yes, he had a sister, but no, she hadn't been trafficked. Ballard showed up to the situation 40 minutes after Buchanan was detained. So he didn't just recognize the child in the car and as depicted in the film, he in, and seems to be insinuated by Ballard in his retelling. Uh, Ballard was called 40 minutes into the scene afterward to kind of collect evidence and um, have things be turned over to his department after they got Buchanan. And so Ballard came and took evidence into custody. There was never a raid. Buchanan didn't have a compound with 
children stored in it. There was a search warrant that was served to Buchanan's um, place of business. And he did have a little room where it looked like he had entertained children and videotaped them there. They have like a little place for like games and movies that kids could watch and things kids would like in this movie. And then there were cameras installed to record the kids. And so it's very, very creepy, but it couldn't really be characterized as a compound. It was his, it was his place of employment. It was a, it was an office building that he uh, owned or managed and there was a room, but there were no children being held there. They weren't, there was no imprisonment or anything like that. So it's very strange. This, when I started doing this deep dive, these inconsistencies between Ballard's origin story seem quite odd to me. Now, so many people come on my page and they think that my point is that I'm mad that the movie embellished Ballard's story. This is not my point. It's not my point. My point is not about the movie. My concern is that Ballard seems to embellish his own origins story for his own ministry. That's weird. That's very weird. How could Ballard get so many pivotal details of his own story wrong? Especially when it was his own origin story of why he left his career in law enforcement and why he started OUR in the first place. But this is allegedly the basis for the border stop scene in the movie. And the thing that inspired him to, and it gave him a call from God to do this work. Now, again, my problem isn't that Hollywood took this artistic license in making the movie. I, I think the movie is based on my research is mostly fiction at this point, but I don't even care. My, my issue is that Ballard, as one article put it, I think this is a fair characterization, potentially, in my opinion, that he has a tendency to self-mythologize and embellish his exploits. There are deep inconsistencies about the organization's origin story itself. In other words, the true story on which the movie is somewhat allegedly based appears to have intractable, intractable problems itself. Does, does Ballard have a, a habit of stretching the truth in order to raise money? I hope not, because it, it genuinely seems like OUR does do some good work. I mean, I mentioned that earlier when we were going over the facts as I best understand them. But this story of the, the origins story, Ballard's origin story of starting OUR and doing all of these rescues and all of this, this has some deep inconsistencies. He seems to, to embellish what he says about himself. And, and this has, has made me reflect more deeply on, on how important it is to, for Christians to have integrity when we are retelling our or, own origins story for ministries that, that we start. Having an accurate origin story matters. I mean, I, mean, I can only imagine how duped the donors at Reasons to Believe or at the Center for Biblical Unity would feel if they found out, well, you know, 
the origin story behind Hugh Ross's conversion or Monique's origin story of coming out of critical race theory, th th it actually didn't happen that way. Accurate storytelling is a, is a matter of, of integrity. And this is really like, put a check in me of like, hey, we need to be careful when we tell our origin story. We need to make sure we're being accurate at all times because this sort of embellishment that it appears of what Tim Bowler does on the regular seems that that's troubling. Um, but here's what also troubles me about all of this is Christians don't seem to care. Like there's a lot of Christians who have come on my page they don't seem to care about these embellishments. They don't care that what Ballard says might not possibly be completely true. They don't even really want me to investigate this. They just want me to promote the film. Otherwise, I might, I had somebody on there yesterday that they were suggesting that maybe I was being possibly paid off by Hollywood pedophiles because I wouldn't promote the film or what, what? That's ridiculous. Christians of all people should be open to having a conversation of careful inquiry into something. We of all people should be about the business of investigating. And I'm not trying to be so picky. I've shown you my receipts. I've shown you how I arrived at these conclusions based on publicly available things. I'm not relying on Vice or Rolling Stone. So anyone who says that, isn't even telling the truth. But many Christians seem perfectly okay with sacrificing a rigorous investigation of the truth simply for raising awareness about a worthy cause. This is a serious problem. Christians of all people ought to prize truth. There are plenty of credible, verifiable stories about trafficking, rescues from trafficking, um, helping and restoring broken lives who have come out of trafficking that we can use to help raise visibility about this important issue. I can be against human trafficking and still not join the rush, jump on the bandwagon to promote Tim Ballard. I can have a public conversation about human trafficking. I think it's valuable. And I don't have to just give an unqualified endorsement of Tim Ballard or, or OUR. After all my research that I've done, I've probably spent way more time on this than I should, at least a hundred hours. Um, I would say that my mindset is pretty much the same as where it was back on June 28th when I posted on Facebook. So while the film itself looks compelling and inspiring, and while I personally support the endeavor of quality filmmaking based on Judeo-Christian themes, and while I would like to highlight efforts to end all human trafficking, I probably won't be doing a discussion about the film on my podcast. Now, I did do a review of the film, and I am going to do some future content on trafficking. And I have done this deep dive on Tim Ballard, and my mindset is still one of caution still where I'm at. If you want to support efforts against human trafficking, I bless you to do that if the Lord leads you. There are many options available. There are many good mom and pop type ministries out there trying to push back the darkness. 
the one that I um, recommend and the one that we uh, interviewed back in September of 2020, Agape International Missions. You can go check them out at aimfree.org and check out what the work that they are doing and see if that's something you want to support. In the meantime, I want to commend to you my movie review on The Sound of Freedom. It's a great film. We enjoyed it. My husband and I went and you might enjoy it too. I do hope that this helps to bring some clarity to the, these issues and I uh, hope you enjoyed listening to a summary of my research and that this is an invitation to you that when you see something on social media, don't be so quick to agree or disagree. Don't be so quick to comment. Sometimes we have to take the time to step back, learn, let some time go by. I'm not your gal for hot takes. Very seldom do I comment about something that's currently in the news. Um, it's because things, we need to be measured. We need to be careful. We are the people of God. We want to be known as people of truth and compassion and grace and all of that. So check yourself. Check yourself. Don't be so quick to comment. Get in your feelings. Call me names. <laughs> Hopefully have patience with me because I'll make mistakes too. All right, friends, I hope you found this helpful. Please share it with someone that you think will find it helpful. And um, I hope you have a good week and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.